right, so Luke 2 and 12. And it reads as thus. And this. All right. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And I just want to just share with you on this morning real quick something that came to me. And it's simply the gift that keeps on giving. The birth of the Savior of the world, as we know as Christmas, in the fullness of what it meant to those who witnessed it then, the meaning it has for us now, and what it means for those who are yet to come, in this world that we live in today and over the course of time leading up to today, that meaning sometimes can get lost. The importance of Jesus, Jesus' birth gets overshadowed by attempts to make the season more palatable, palatable, more friendly, more accepting, more festive. It gets lost in those things for trying to make it pleasing to the masses. The focus has been placed on the idea of giving gifts and move from who gave the gift, who the gift is, and what comes with the gift. The world has placed its focus on giving gifts and holiday cheer, but neglected and or ignored who was given to us and what he gives to us because of his birth. One would think that with all the gifts that are given during this season, there would be a great spirit of gratitude and satisfaction. But on December 26th and December 27th, there are more returned or exchanged gifts during those two days alone than the entire year. And as for the holiday cheer, that holiday cheer that's supposed to accompany the season seems to bring more, cheer, more tears over the loss of loved ones that have passed on. Praying for you, sis. We witness higher rates of depression. The suicide rate goes up. There are more family arguments and fallouts. Loneliness. Sorrow. And the list goes on. But when we get back to the true reason for the season, the birth of Jesus Christ, we see that he was the gift to all from the Father. But the thing about it, the gift brought gifts. Minister Monk read my scripture, Isaiah 9 and 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But when we look at that scripture and really dive into it, 
we see that it wasn't just about him coming. But look what he brought. Let's look at it again. For unto us a child is born. A child. So that means we get to see the Savior in his humanity. We get to see him in his tender, vulnerable state. We get to see him in a relatable fashion because we all, like he, were born. We all were children. We all were small. We all were needy. Even now, we still need, we still feel insignificant. But we see him in his humanity. But then it goes on to say, unto us, a son is given. So not only do we see him in his humanity, but we then get to see him in his deity, his divinity. We get to see that a God came down to be with us. That we, he can relate to us as a man, but he can fix us because he's God. But then it goes on to say, and the government will be upon his shoulders. So that means any type of legislative issues in your life, anything that goes on in this world, it says the government, anything that you put on him, he will take care of. He will have the responsibility of making sure it works out according to his plan. But then it says, and his name will be called. So when we call his name, we get more gifts. It says his name should be called Wonderful Counselor. In some translations, it says Wonderful Counselor as one. But no matter what, you get somebody who's wonderful, who does things that are wonder, full of wonder, but then he's a counselor. So that means he is full of wisdom. We get him in his omniscience, right? So that means there isn't anything that's going on in your life that he can't speak with wisdom about. And not only is he speaking with wisdom, he's speaking with ultimate wisdom. So that means whatever he says will work out in your life. But then it says that he's mighty God. So that means he's, that's his omnipotence. So whatever he says that'll work out in your life, he also has the power to make it work. He's the everlasting father, right? His omnipresence. He's everywhere at one time for the rest of time until time ends and even after that time, he'll continue to be your father. But what is a father? A father is your provider. A father is your sustainer. A father is your protector. Your father is your nurturer. Your father is your builder. Your father is your foundation. So he's everlasting in those attributes. That's what came through the birth. But then we get another gift. It says he's the prince of peace. So it doesn't, make, it doesn't matter of what you're going through. Not only does he give peace, but he's royalty over the peace. So he commands peace. That's why he can look at a storm and say, peace, be still. That's why right before he dies, he tells them, peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, but as I give to you. So no matter how tumultuous your life is, you have the prince of peace. All because of his birth. Let's look at point number one and we'll move swiftly. Point number one, the significance of it. Let's go back to Luke 2 and 12. It says, and this will be the sign to you. Right? Now we're going to come back and break that down in a minute. But let's read. It says, and this will be the sign to you. Right? The angel is talking. It's, it's believed that it's Gabriel, the messenger. And this will be the sign to you, talking to the, to, to the, to the shepherds. And we're going to get into that in a minute. 
and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So the significance of it, the first one is the Redeemer is revealed. Genesis 3 and 15. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God the Father talking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So when Jesus comes as the baby born, we're not just looking at a baby for, for, as for aesthetics. We're looking at the one who's come to redeem us from our sins. The one who's come to redeem us, buy us back from the enemy. To snatch us from the snares and slavery of sin into his marvelous light. Because it says that his heel will bruise the enemy's head. The only way I figured out, Dr. Habersham, I'm not good with, 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 with biology and, and physics and all of that, but in order for my heel to bruise somebody's head, I got to be stepping on him. So the Savior, that little baby, came with feet who's ready to step on the enemy, <laughs> who's ready to step on everything that the enemy has put in your life who's ready to step on anything that you have allowed in your life, just submit your life to him. But in that same significance, we get the mediator is manifested. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, your mediator, remember, before Christ comes and before he dies and sheds his blood, we all, everybody, for my Caribbean folk, all of we. Did, did, I, get, did I get that right? I got, okay, okay. Yeah. I, was, all right. I was working on that one, right? All of us. We're enemies to God. Think about that. We were enemies to God. Adversaries to God, to his word, to his plan. Right? To what he had originally established for us. We inherited that from Adam. Thanks, Adam. We inherited sin. So it put a wedge a veil, Bible school, it put a veil between us and God. But Jesus comes as this baby, but he's also the mediator. He's the go-between. But the mediator takes on an accounting term, right? Reconciliation. That's an accounting term. Means to bring one side equal to the other. Right? Tax season coming up. You got to balance your books. You have to reconcile. You may have too much debt on one side, but you need some infusion of resources and funds on the other side. Or you have to write off the debt or see if the debt, woo, see if the debt can be forgiven so that the other side will now balance. 
Jesus comes to forgive the debt on your ledger. Jesus comes to reconcile all your liabilities so that your other side, your assets, now equal your liabilities and you are now reconciled. But in the significance of it, we see that the sacrifice is solidified. First John 2 and 2. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. First John 1 and 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now let's look at that word propitiation. Jesus is standing in the gap for us. Jesus is our substitute. He is the Lamb of God who will be slain. The Bible lets us know that without the, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So the only way you or I could ever do anything to satisfy our debt is for us to die. But our blood is not efficacious enough. So even if we stood before God to try and stand before him and give an account for our sins, we still would die and go to hell. But Jesus came down as that same baby who said, I'm going to stand in the gap for you. I'm going to be the substitute for you. I'm going to be the Lamb of God that's going to be slain on your behalf. Because not only am I perfect, but my blood is efficacious. Over 2,000 years ago, that flood still washes me so. There's nobody that can wash me like the blood of Jesus. But in that same significance, we see God's plan executed. Let's go back to Luke 2 and 12, and let's break that down a little bit. It says, and this will be the sign to you, right? Now, remember, we said that this is Gabriel, well, believed to be Gabriel, because the Bible doesn't say it was Gabriel, but we believe it to be Gabriel. And he's talking to shepherds, talking to shepherds, and this will be a sign to you. So he basically, he's telling them that, you guys about to see something that's going to mean something to you in your position in life, right? It says you will find a babe. You're going to find a baby, a human being, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Stop. Now, in the Jewish culture of the time, when a baby was swaddled, swaddled that was usually preserved for the aristocracy of the day the royalty of the day, the upper echelon of the day, the upper crust of the day, the people that had it going on, the power brokers, the movers, the shakers, right? Those were the ones who were swaddled to prove your status, right? But look, the angel said, you, gonna, you guys gonna see a sign, gonna see something's gonna be for you, right? Now, shepherds were on the opposite end of that spectrum. If you were a shepherd back in that day, you were the lowest of low. If you were a shepherd of that day, somebody didn't think much about you and gave you that job. Think back to the story when David was being anointed king. His father Jesse sent all seven of his boys out. 
And the prophet had to say, there's got to be another one. And then Jesse goes, oh yeah, there is another. And where was David? He was out tending the sheep, right? His father, for whatever reason, didn't seem to like him too much, which is weird back in that day if you had boys meant prosperity, but you whole nother story for another time. But the shepherds were the low lives of society. Nobody wanted that job. Their living was different than everyone else's. But yet, you have a babe swaddled. It didn't mean the same thing to them because their lives were different because they dealt with different things. They had different problems. They had different issues. They didn't have money. They didn't have prestige. They didn't have a network. They didn't have people who were in different places who can help them get to things and get the things that they needed. They had to suffer. They had to fight. They had to toil. They had to tear. They had to go through. Kind of sounds like us, right? But when they saw the babe swaddle, to them, that meant swaddled things weren't human. The swaddling of something newborn to a shepherd was a lamb. You swaddled the newborn lambs that had passed the test of being without spot or blemish, and you swaddled them to prepare them for slaughter and sacrifice. And the sign that they saw was that a baby is in the position of a lamb that's usually set up for sacrifice. Jesus came here with the mindset to die for us. Jesus came prepared to sacrifice himself for all of our sins, right? So the shepherds, when they saw him swaddled, it might have threw them for a second because they said, wait a minute, that's a baby and not a lamb. Why is he swaddled like a sacrifice? But hold on, let's keep going. Let's keep going. It says you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. A manger. My brother-in-law built a manger at you know, some other house. He built a manger. But what he built was the scene in the stable. A lot of times when we talk about the manger, it's, we usually get the idea of the stable scene. Where the grass, the hay, and the animals. But even that is messy because in a stable, the animals lay on the hay, but they eat the hay. They use the bathroom on the hay. They urinate on the hay. They do number two on the hay. They have babies on the hay. You have dirt in the hay. You have bugs in the hay. And all of this is where Jesus was laying. The Savior of the world is laying in the mess. But that's still not the manger. But that just goes to show that Jesus will come down to the darkest, dirtiest of places just to find a sinner who will receive him. But the manger... The manger. The manger is actually what looks like a crib that Jesus was laying in, but a manger is really a trough for feeding. So Jesus is laying in a trough for feeding as the sacrifice. Remember what he said during communion. Take, this is my body, which was broken for many. Take, eat, right? His body was prepared to be broken so that we can feed and receive what his body represents. 
I believe the Bible says somewhere, oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Right? Right? Jesus also says, right? Jesus also says that he is the bread of heaven. And that if you receive of him, you won't hunger or thirst anymore. Right? So that's the significance of it. Point two, the sacrifice of it. Philippians 2, 6-7. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So his sacrifice, he had equality with God, but he was a bondservant as a man. Jesus gave up the position of sitting next to the Father in all glory to carry out the functions of being subordinate to the Father. Remember, he's equal with the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God eternally existing in three persons, one in essence, but three different functionalities. Right? He gave up being equal with the Father just to be a slave as a bondservant, as a man. So he was God of every God, but came down to live as man of every man, right? He was high and lifted up as a king who is served, but came down to the lowest depths of life as a bondservant to serve. The sacrifice also, he was worshiped in heaven, but despised on earth. Jesus would be rejected by the ones he created to receive him. Hebrews 1 and 8. It says, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, this is God, the father, talking about the son. And he says, your throne, O God. God the Father called the Son God. Think about that for a second. The Father calls the Son God and then begins to speak in a way that sounds like worship because he's not talking about what he's done. He's just simply declaring who he is. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. He's declaring the greatness of Jesus. He's declaring the power of Jesus. He's offering words that we consider worship to Jesus. But if you look at Isaiah 53 and 3, it says he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. So you have the God of all creation looking at Jesus and worshiped. You have the creation of Jesus not even looking at him. 
but he did not care about what we would think about him. He knew what he thought about us and got down off of his throne, left all worship, left all praise of angels, gave up glory in heaven, gave up worship in heaven just to come down to see about sorry little somethings like us. Tell somebody the gift, the gift that keeps on giving. That was the sacrifice of it. Let's look at point number three. The source of it. Titus 3, 4 through 6. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's, that's a mouthful. So the source of this action, we see the Lord's love. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, there's a word again, the propitiation for our sins. God loved us so much that he, he never turned against his righteousness. He never turned against his holiness. But because of his love for us, God operates in duality. He can be righteous and holy, but he can show love and mercy. Right? And because of his love and mercy for us, it got him to come and die for us. To cause Jesus to be born and walk with us. But we also see the king's kindness. 2 Samuel 9 and 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Right? Now, David here is king now. Right? He's king. He just took over, won the battle. Saul was the one he was fighting against. And Saul's house were in opposition to David. They went against David. They went against the anointing of God over David. They went against the word of God that spoke about David. They went against God's plan for David to take over. And they fought and kicked against it. They were in opposition. Sounds like sin. But David didn't look at the sin that they were operating in because of his relationship with Saul's son. <laughs> because of the king's relationship to the son, all sinners now have access to this kindness. <laughs> Ephesians 2 and 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is not just sending Jesus just for some frilly, furry feeling. When we see Jesus, when God sends Jesus, he sends us his character. He sends us his love because God can't show his love without the blood of Jesus, without the sacrifice, without the mediator, without the propitiation, without the, the, the sacrifice. He can't show that because his righteousness and holiness demands that he judges sin. 
But when he sends the mediator, when he sends the sacrifice to stand in our place and die, now we're covenanting his righteousness alone and now we can receive the kindness of the Father that he wants to show in throughout generations. God's not looking to just bless you one day and let it go. But there's some kindness God has prepared for you. There's some kindness God wants to show you. There's some kindness God has in store for you, but we just have to be honest and say that I am a sinner and I need to be saved and receive the sacrifice, receive the gift that keeps on giving. We also see the master's mercy. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever. God's not going to stay mad forever. Because he delights in mercy. So you got a holy God, a righteous God, a just God who has the right to judge sin, but he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. So that means he's going to take over them. He's going to get our iniquities, our sins under control. He's going to now stand as master over those things. But then it says, and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I love the way the old preacher that I love used to say it. God throws our sins in the sea of forgetfulness and then puts a sign up that says, no fishing. Mm -hmm. That's the type of mercy he wants to show you. He's not just going to forgive you and wash you. He's not just going to forgive you and justify you, but he's going to make every lying tongue that comes up to try and bring up your past. He's going to make every snivering witch that wants to bring up your past, every gossiping gargoyle that wants to bring up your past. God says, I'm going to put it somewhere that even they can't find it. And even if they should bring it up, it's not going to look like you. They'll bring it up and say, this is what you used to do, but because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because you're washed in the blood of the Savior, because you have the gift of God over your life, you can say, yeah, that was me, but now I'm saved. Yeah, that was me, but now I'm whole. Yeah, I was sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, but now I'm saved, and God is my Savior. And you can now praise God for that. Come on and give God a praise. Now tell somebody again, the gift that keeps on giving. God gave us the gift of Christ to not only satisfy the debt of our sins through his death, but that through his birth, we can see the glorious promise and new hope he brings. There was nothing we did to deserve him. We offered him nothing. We are a needy people, a broken creation, drowning in our sins, covered in unrighteousness. But through his birth, the sinner can receive access to salvation. We can receive access to holiness for all of our hellishness. The lost soul can receive access to the way, the truth, and the life because of this gift that keeps on giving. Jesus leaving heaven to live on earth did nothing for him. 
but his birth changed everything for those that received him. Those, for those that have, that have and will receive him, they get the gift of the fullness of God and everything that comes with it. Through his birth, we receive the love of God. Through his birth, we receive the abundant life of God. Through his birth, we receive the kindness of God. Through his birth, we receive the greatness of God. Through his birth, we receive the salvation of God. Through his birth, we receive the sufficiency of God. Through his birth, we receive the peace of God. And the gift just keeps on giving. Through his birth, we receive the purpose of God. Through his birth, we receive the plan of God. Through his birth, we receive the provision of God. Through his birth, we receive the help of God. Through his birth, we receive the hope of God. Through his birth, we receive the hand of God. Through his birth, we receive the holiness of God. And the gift just keeps on giving. Through his birth, we receive the favor of God. Through his birth, we receive forgiveness of God. Through his birth, we receive the friendship of God. Through his birth, we receive fellowship of God. And the gift just keeps on giving. Through his birth, we receive the reconciliation of God. Through his birth, we receive the righteousness of God. Through his birth, we receive the will of God. Through his birth, we receive the ways of God. So whatever it is that you lost in life, whatever it is that you've gone through in life, whatever it is you're dealing with in life, whatever it is that the enemy tried to take from you, whatever it is that you're suffering through, just receive him as your savior and watch him give you more of what you need. If you receive him as savior, he'll give you a little bit of peace. If you receive him as savior, he'll give you a little anointing. If you receive him as savior, he'll give you some more power. If you receive him as your savior, he'll give you some more favor. If you receive him as savior, he'll give you some more of his love. If you receive him as savior, he'll give you some more of his kindness. If you give, receive your savior, he'll give you his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit will guard your heart against all things until the day that Jesus Christ returns. So I say to you, Merry Christmas. I say to you, receive the gift that keeps on giving. I say to you, let's celebrate the savior. I say to you, let's lift up the King of Kings. I say to you, let's lift up the Lord of Lords. I say to you, let's lift up the Holy One of Israel. I say to you, let's lift up God's only son. I say to you, let's lift up Mary's baby because he is the gift. He is the gift. He is the gift that keeps on giving. No matter what I need, he gives me just what I need. If I come to him and receive him as my savior, if I come to him and receive him as my Lord, he will give me all that I need. Let's give God a praise. Come on and let's praise Mary's baby. Let's praise the rose of Sharon. Let's praise the newborn king. Let's praise the savior of the world. Come on, give God a praise. Give him everything you got because he constantly gives you more. He gives you more of what you need. Everybody standing. Don't let commercialization 
Don't let the arguments of when Jesus was born and when that had been born. Because you have a school of thought that says he was born more in the summertime, but now you have an emerging school of thought that says it was somewhere around the 25th of December. I really don't care. All I know is that my Savior lives. <laughs> my Savior lives. He opened up his eyes. Jesus wasn't stillborn. It wasn't a miscarriage. But Jesus came to achieve all that he was supposed to do. For when he left, he said, it is finished. So my life now is sweet. My soul is complete because I can be saved. I can be saved. I'm not worried about when he was born. All I need to know is that he was born. I'm not worried about if he came for this one, that one, or them. I just know he came to save a wretch like me. Come on and lift your hands and worship. Lift your hands and worship. Let's worship the Savior. Let's worship the Savior. Even if you haven't received the mad Savior, give him worship. Even if you haven't received the mass Lord, give him worship. One of the reasons, and we talked about it earlier, one of the reasons why the holiday season in particular, holidays, whether you talk about the 4th of July, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, any holiday, but especially the Christmas holiday, has been, and it's nothing but, the, but a trick of the enemy. We're sold on holiday cheer through gift giving. We're sold on holiday cheer through having family around. We're sold on holiday cheer because of the goodwill. I treat you nice, you treat me nice. Everybody's running around, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. But when we look at what we're faced with, for all of the gifts that are given, people are going bankrupt trying to buy. People go into debt trying to buy. And when you look up the word debt, it's, yeah, it says you owe money, but it also says a form of bondage or slavery. So the enemy has us thinking that it's about buying gifts and doing all of this other stuff, going into debt, becoming slaves, but yet the one who came and was born came to set us free. And we, 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 we go into how it's about family. Christmas is about family. This holiday is about family. It's about family, it's about family, it's about family. Now yes, we get together with family to celebrate these holidays. But what about the people who are losing family? We have commercials. We have 
all of these marketing campaigns, ads that go out, that's having things, pictures of people sitting down to a table, 15, 20, 30 people in a home, but yet you just lost three of your loved ones and now you're the only one standing in front of a tree that looks like it was the one that Charlie Brown had. You're sitting in front of, you're sitting in a house in front of a fireplace and no one is calling you. Or the house that you would go to, that person isn't here anymore. So we say holiday cheers about family, but people's families are being destroyed left and right. People aren't talking to each other anymore. Families are falling apart, breaking, fracturing. But yet we say this is the season for family. It's no wonder why people get depressed. But Jesus didn't come for a family. Jesus came for a sinner. He came for the ones who were outside that didn't have family. He came for the ones who were outside that others had cast off. Right? And we go through all of these exercises, we do these things, and there's nothing wrong with them, but the meaning of Christmas is lost, and so many lives stay lost. The sinner is never found, and even the saint is under oppression but we have to get back to why we are here we have to forcefully intentionally and deliberately get back to why we celebrate Christmas it's because Jesus Christ is born it's because God loved us so much that heaven sent me a very special a beautiful wonderful gift and because he loved us so much Thank you, mom. He loved us so much. He loved you so much. He loved me so much. And not loved us because we received him. He loved us even when we rejected him. 